Good morning, North Shore. I hope you're all doing well. I can't wait to see you face to face, as I know we've all expressed uh, up here in the weeks and even months prior to this. I don't know if you noticed, I, I got a haircut. It's my uh, Corona cut. And I'm sure a lot of you are sporting uh, your Corona cuts, or you will be. And of course, the beards are going to come off soon too, right? So look forward to seeing everybody and, and uh, can't wait for that time. This morning, we're going to look at James chapter 4. And as you know, we've been spending a lot of time in the book of James and we've just been learning so many things. And this morning, as I was thinking about this message, I actually wanted to start with a poem or a piece of a poem by American author and poet Robert Frost. In The Road Not Taken, he says this, Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. See, I think there's two distinct roads that James identifies in chapter 4 here. The road of pride and the problems with that, how God opposes that path, and the road of humility and where that leads us. You see, as we've been seeing in the book of James, he's addressing the scattered Christian church. They're trying to understand their spiritual identity at this point while under persecution. They're struggling with faith and having a kingdom of God perspective and all that, much like, well, like we are today. James has spent the previous chapter that Pastor Scott <clears throat> taught on expressing to the people of how God's, um, about how powerful the tongue is, right, in blessing God and others and also causing phenomenal damage, right? And Pastor Pat talked about that too. And then, of course, the profile that we just looked at of a person uh, of wisdom and who lives at peace with others. So now chapter four that we're in and we're going to look at today, it takes on kind of a different tone. It's like a father who's been driving along and he's listening to his kids bickering and fighting, squabbling in the back seat. And then he suddenly stops the car, right? He tells his kid what he's heard, why that's not okay, and how to correct it. And of course, as he's leaned over the, the chair and he's telling them all this, they're pointing their fingers. He said, she said, back and forth, right? You can see that. If you've had kids, you've probably lived that, right? So this is kind of the tone that we uh, enter chapter four, and we're going to look at this together today, and I'm excited about that. But before we do, let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for what it teaches us. We thank you that it's living and active. And God, we want to take your word in today. We don't want to just listen to it, but we want to do what it says. And that can be really tough sometimes. So, George, Jesus, I just pray that you would help us um, listen today. Listen to you. Listen to that still, small voice of your Holy Spirit. And, and listen to one another, Lord, as we um, just continue to struggle as a nation and a world. So, again, we just thank you, Lord. We welcome you to speak to us clearly this morning. We love you. In your son's name, amen. So to start us here, we're, gonna, we're just going to read through James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. 
So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and join me in that or just listen if you'd like. Chapter 4, starting in verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scriptures say he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives grace, more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one law, lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Whoo! <laughs> My friends, this is, this is a tough teaching. Like I said, he leans over the back of the chair and he's like, look, hold on a second, stop, right? What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? He identifies, obviously, that the churches are having conflict right now. It's no surprise. And so he, he meets that head on, right? He doesn't dance around it. So if, you're, if you have your notes there, the first thing he does is he identifies the source of the conflict. And surprisingly enough, it's not her fault, it's not his fault. He looks at self. It's actually in our hearts. Right, so he starts out with the, the conflict of self-centeredness, right? And, I mean, we, we live there right now, don't we? My needs matter. My rights matter first. Right? I mean, we don't have to look any further than the toilet paper shortage, right? We all wanted to have more than we needed, right? Just in case we ran out, right? And now they put limits on almost everything that you can buy. We want it, but we can't have it, so we fight and we quarrel. This is exactly what James says. How many of you have found yourself saying something like this? You need to wear a mask. You don't need to wear a mask. We need to open the church. We don't need to open the church just yet, right? We all have our strong opinions, and we're not afraid to share those, right? I know I'm not. So the conflict of self-centeredness, we look at our own needs first, and then the conflict of self-reliance. You do not have because you do not ask, James says. How often have you faced a challenge and you've refused someone else's help? Maybe you didn't want to appear weak or 
you couldn't handle it, so you justify it. Hey, you know what? It's no big deal. I got it handled. Hey, don't worry about it. No worries, right? Or maybe you've kind of boiled your prayer life down to a series of requests. Not all requests, just the ones that are a little bit bigger, right, that you can't handle yourself. And so you you go to God with those, right? He's kind of the, the genie in the bottle to grant you those three big requests, right? The kid that only comes to his dad when he needs what? The keys to the Camaro or money, right? I mean, I think we've all been in that space at some point or another. Sometimes we can be so fiercely independent, right? And we trust our own protection and our own provision rather than God's. You know, I got to tell you a story. On Monday night, <clears throat> Sam and I were woken about four in the morning. The door to our bed, or excuse me, the window to our bedroom was slightly open. And so I could hear easily what was going on in the backyard. And it woke us up. It was the chickens. They were going nuts. They're flapping all over their coop. And I knew immediately that something was after them. A predator was trying to get in to take them. So Sam jumped up. She grabbed the spotlight we have. That's kind of like the surface of the sun. It lights up the whole world, right? So she ran outside with that. I'm stumbling around in the dark. I'm trying to find my 22. I'm trying to get my shoes on, I'm trying, right? <laughs> By the time I got outside, the predator was long gone. But Sam saw, you know, it's wee beady eyes looking at those chickens. And they were freaked out. Well, he was gone, right? And he didn't come back the rest of the night. So I'm like, okay. Well, later that afternoon, because we let them out and they free range and, and they're, they're outside of their pen the whole day. When it came to be evening time, they always go in and roost in their coop. This time they didn't. They all found a space in the yard somewhere, found a bush that they could hide in because they were afraid. I, I couldn't believe that. A, a bird with a brain, you know, the size of a pea remembered what had happened the night before and how terrified they were. And it wouldn't go back inside that coop. They were chicken, right? But here's the deal. They didn't know that I had predator-proofed their coop a long time ago. As long as they were in there every night and that door was shut and they raised the alarm when they saw something and we came out to protect them, they were safe. But they didn't know that. And so they took their own self-reliance to protect them and provide for themselves but it was certain death for them if they were outside that pen, if something came along. Isn't it the same for us sometimes? We want to live outside God's will for whatever reason. We want to do things our way. We want to be self-reliant. But God wants to protect us, and he wants to provide for us. Right? And then, of course, the conflict of self-consumption. Or we ask with the wrong motives. James says, we spend it on ourselves, right? Our own passions, our own self-indulgence. And then James holds nothing back here. He says, you adulterous people. Now, recognizing here, this word is referring, you know, obviously we, we use it in, in terms of extramarital unfaithfulness, but he's using it, recognizing that the whole church can be unfaithful at times in a very broad sense. We choose lesser lovers, and our relationship with God is damaged. It says, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world make him, makes himself an enemy of God. And it's our pride. That's what it comes down to, my friends. It's our pride. 
It lures us into friendship with the world. We pursue idols of the world. It's power. It's, it's plaudits. It's promotion. And somehow we justify it, right? The siren song of the world sings, you deserve it. My friends, you can have it all. You got to look out for number one, right? It's your way right away at Burger King now. And before we know it, that siren song has lured our ship onto the rocks of pride and self-centeredness and self-consumption and self-reliance. But what I love about Scripture, you guys, it doesn't end there. The Scriptures always give us a way out. And for James here, it's no different. Because point number two is he gives us a solution for these conflicts. And in verse 5, James recognizes that God yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. Another way to put this would be that he desires deeply that the Holy Spirit he's put in us would be allowed to rule and reign in our lives instead of the world, instead of what the world has to offer, instead of the idols and the sin that so easily entangles us. So what then is the solution to this conflict, this, this war that rages within us, that causes us to fall into that trap of speaking evil about one another and judging one another and turning our eyes away from God? See, the road of pride caused a third of the angels to be banished from heaven for all of eternity. It became the demons of hell, right? It also caused Adam and Eve to follow their own way and to turn from God's best. And that road of pride continues to cause evil and destruction in our fragile world and even the church. But then James speaks of grace and humility. And that, my friends, is the road less traveled but the road that makes all the difference. It says in uh, 4.6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God's grace is that cup of cool water that the person dying in the desert is given, right? It's the life ring to a drowning person. It's the key that unlocks the prison door. And our nation is in such desperate need for us as a church to put on grace and humility right now, right? And then he goes on to say in 7 and 8, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. See, part of the solution that James is offer, uh, offering to us is this, that we must submit and resist. We must submit to God, to his word, to his holiness, to his power, to his authority, to his commands, and to his Holy Spirit that's at work within us. And we must resist the devil, right? He's the father of lies. 
and I believe his demonic manipulations are, are behind our selfish desires, our earthly wisdom that Pastor Scott preached on, our, our jealousy, our selfish ambitions, our silence even in the face of injustice, and, and our judgmental attitudes. See, I think the enemy's work among us as his church continues to bring division and divisiveness and tribalism and political factions and all kinds of disorder and chaos, right? And it's interesting because Matthew 12, 25 makes it clear that a house divided cannot stand. And a church divided and consumed by infighting and disunity is rendered impotent in its witness to the world. See, we belong to the kingdom of God. The world is looking to us and I believe we as a church, we need to model and we need to steward conversations that we're having, right? In ways that we want the world to engage these same topics. We need to set the pace for that. As God's holy children, we need to have conversations in a way that are honoring to Him and to one another. And we've also been given the ministry of reconciliation, right? Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians. 518 through 20. I won't go into that right now, but we are ministers of the gospel and we are ministers of reconciliation. It's the reason why Jesus came, right? To reconcile us to the Father. And here's the good news. Resist the devil, James says, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Those are promises that we have in God's word right there. But James doesn't stop here. No. You see, there's more required of us, much more. He gives an invitation to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, the church that's scattered, to the many believers who James is shepherding right now or trying to shepherd. And I believe it's the same invitation he's giving us as the church in 2020. He says this, Cleanse your hands or wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. See, before the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, he went, in, he, he went all about this ceremonial washing and this cleansing in order to be in God's presence. I think it's a reminder here that James is saying we need to repent from our sin. And we need to purify our hearts. And he calls us, interestingly enough, double-minded here. You double-minded. James recognizes how unstable the double-minded man is in James 1.8. Because we can often operate. I know I've done this in the past. We can often operate with one foot in the world and one foot in our faith, right? But it doesn't work because it creates all those self-issues that we just talked about, right? So James is calling us to be all in with our hearts and our minds fully on God, to be sensitive to his spirit as he exposes sin in our lives. King David was familiar with this. In fact, we read in Psalm 51 in his lament over his grievous sin, David says this, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. 
I want us to take a pause right now. As a church, I want us to take a pause. I, I want to invite the worship team to come up and to lead us in a song over us and, and to have us join with them in this song. This is actually from Isaiah 6-7. Some of you may be familiar with it. It's called Take Me In. It's where Isaiah has a vision where he sees the Lord and he's overwhelmed with God's holiness. And he's just on his knees before God. And his guilt and his shame and his sin is taken away and atoned for, much as Jesus has done for us through his atoning sacrifice on the cross. Jesus, thank you so much for ushering us into uh, a space where we can take a pause, where we can reflect not only on the message, but reflect on the sin that so easily entangled us. God, I know with, you know, first with this coronavirus thing, and obviously that's still ongoing, and now um, everything else that's, that's come out of that, um, we're all just really anxious right now. There's a lot of tempers that are flaring. There's a lot of ways in the sense that, that we've behaved badly, that we're even ashamed maybe of how we've um, approached you know, some of these discussions or even our friends. And so, God, we, we lament that. We grieve that and we repent, Jesus. We want to be salt in this world. We want to be light. So would you help us to do that? Amen. My friends, I, I want to remind us of what's happening in the world right now. During Jesus' time, and then, of course, you know, as James writes this letter to the churches, if we go back to the, the woman at the well, right, in John 4, Jesus meets with a Samaritan woman. His disciples have gone away to get some food, but he says, no, I'm going to stay behind. I'll wait for you guys. You go get something to eat. And he meets a Samaritan woman. He's a Jewish man. He's a rabbi. And he meets with a Samaritan woman. Now, if you don't know the context of that or the culture, you're like, okay, so what? <clears throat> My friends, please understand. Jewish men, especially of, of Jesus's stature, would never meet with a woman, a Samaritan woman, a woman of ill repute, right? Because she had an interesting lifestyle. Very sinful, actually. And he points that out at one point. But he has a phenomenal conversation with her. Here's another issue. Jews didn't even eat off of the utensils that, that Samaritans used, right? And there was no paper plates like we have now, right? Plastic knives and forks. No, it wasn't easy like that, right? So this is all something that we have to be aware of. Jesus is in a really odd space, and yet he enters that very kindly, very compassionately, and he has a theological discussion with this woman. Why? Because he cares more about her soul than some of these cultural issues. And he just overcomes so many boundaries in that area. And I love it. It's interesting, though. His disciples come back, right? And they're, they come around. You can just imagine. Jesus is talking to this woman. These guys come around the corner. Here's the well. And they're like, Jesus, you're not going to believe it. We had the best MLT. I'm telling you. The mutton, lettuce, and tomato sandwich where the mutton's nice and lean and the tomato's so ripe, 
It was perky. We loved that. And then they notice who he's talking to. And it says they were amazed, but they said nothing. You see, even though they said nothing, they had all kinds of thoughts and feelings, I'm sure, going through them, right? And then we just turn over to James here, and, and we can read about what's going on as he's writing this in Acts 7 through 9, right? They had a dear brother, Stephen, who'd been murdered by the religious leaders. In fact, a man named Saul, he was right there giving approval, right, to his death by stoning. And then Saul, it says right after that, Saul began destroying the church. He's going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison, Acts 8.3. And then meanwhile, it says in Acts 9.1, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Can you imagine the church in turmoil right now? Then finally then, on the road to Damascus, Saul meets the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's forever changed. In fact, his name is changed as well. He's the man we know as Paul, who's written so much of the New Testament, right? So Saul meets Jesus. He's forever transformed. Here's a man who is very well-versed in following the Torah he was keeping the commands of the Mosaic law. He was part of God's chosen people. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, as Philippians 3 tells us. How could he seem to miss the God of love and mercy and justice? He seemed so obsessed, you know, with power and with zeal and with passion for his tribe and his religion. And he was missing the voice of the Christians, only seeking to imprison them. Why? Well, there's probably lots of reasons, but you know, I think he saw them as a threat to the stability of the established religion. And finally, he's thrown to the ground. What, a, what an act of grace, right? That Jesus throws him to the ground and he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? That's interesting, right? Because I'm sure Saul would say, no, 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 no. God, I, I've been persecuting the, these Christians, these people of the way. I haven't been, I've been persecuting you. He's been persecuting the people, and he's also been persecuting God because of that, right? You know, in Galatians 1 and 2, Paul's a changed man, right? Shares his testimony. He starts out, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. He's sharing his story, right? He's, he's not afraid of it. But he had a supernatural encounter with the Lord. He became a brother in Christ. And yet for many, I think he was still feared. For years beyond that, right? By the Christian church that didn't know his story. That didn't trust him. And, and only knew a particular narrative about his life. But by God's immeasurable grace. Paul even says in Galatians 2.11, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. See, Paul recognizes that Peter was acting one way with his Gentile friends, and then when the Jews showed up, he acted a different way, right? It, it, he was a double-minded man in that sense, right? And he called him out on that. Can you imagine Paul calling out Peter? 
Right? But that's the kind of work that God had done in Paul's life. And here we are. This is right in the middle of this, right? There's so many emotions. Emotions are high. There's a lot to react to. People are being called out, right? There's challenges to some key beliefs that we've already looked at. And, and there's false teachers in the mix, right? Why do I share all this? I think because I believe some of us, like Paul, are suffering from being misunderstood right now, from having people judge us for who they think we are or for what we've said or seem to represent and furthering that call to repentance and lament, James goes on in 4, 9 through 10. I'm going to read it actually from the NIV. He says, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. My friends, what have you seen and what have you heard in the past few months? I think we're a country suffering deeply right now. We have deep wounds to our health, some of us, our well-being, our economy. We have blatant injustices going on. Some of us have experienced a profound lack of grace and humility, even among our friends and our peers. About a week ago, Sam and the kids were gone, and I just found myself in the kitchen, and I literally just sank to the floor, and I just started weeping until one of my dogs came over and just started licking the salt off my hands. I was just overcome. I think it's time to grieve, to mourn, and to wail. We have lots of reasons for that, right? To change our laughter to mourning and our joy to gloom. We don't always have to be right. We don't always have to point out to people how we think they're wrong, do we? In fact, the Apostle Paul himself, he warns the church in Corinth. Here's another area that he talks about. And, and by the way, they were dealing with debilitating divisions in the church at the time. He says, when one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and another says, I'm a, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like people of the world? That's what he says. You guys, we've, we've been at... Hmm. We've been a part of this church for 28 years, 28 years, Sam and I. We love you guys. And we've been through a lot, and you've been through a lot. But we're still here. We're still together. And I think the reason for that is because we're followers of Christ first. We're one body in Christ first. And we want to keep it that way, right? We want to live like that. We want the world to see us as a, a group of people that they want to be a part of, that they want to join, 
They want to experience God's love and his grace and his kindness and his mercy. We have that to offer. James 4 is calling believers to follow that road. Yeah, that that road that leads to humility. To recognize that the conflicts we have with one another start where? With her? No. With him? No. They start right here. Right here in our hearts. And he calls us to resist the enemy of our souls, to submit to God, to repent and to lament and to not speak evil against one another and not to judge one another. This is what he calls us to. And my friends, I think in all of that, I know I'm here in this with you. We need to become better listeners. We need to put on those hearts of compassion and kindness and sensitivity. I want to show you a couple photos. The first one here is of uh, Forrest Fenn. He's a art dealer, actually. lives in New Mexico. And 11 years ago, in 2009, he actually buried a treasure in a 13th century treasure chest. Gold, jewels. You can see the photo right there. It was worth over $2 million. He buried it, hid it, I should say, in the Rocky Mountains. And he wrote a poem. That's in the middle. You probably can't read the words there, but those are clues to where, where it was buried. It was found last week, found by someone who verified with a photo that they'd found this treasure. My friends, in the last 11 years, over 300,000 people have been looking for this hidden treasure, and several people died in that quest. You know, I think there's something innate about in, in all of us where we, we want to find something of value, right? We want to find a buried treasure. Wouldn't that just be so exciting? I've had that desire in my heart since I was a kid. I, I had a metal detector, and so I went around looking for stuff, and Jordan has a metal detector now, and I use it, well, I use it probably more than, more than he does, right? Um, but I want to show you guys another photo, and this is of a metal detector. This this is kind of the, the nuts and bolts of how it works. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail right here. But when you have that metal detector and you're, you're sweeping it on the ground, there's something called a coil, right? And you're, you're running that across the ground and you're looking for metal, right? And it beeps whenever you found something of metal. So you kind of dial in where that beep was and then you dig down and you, you take whatever you find there. And it could be treasure. Or it could be stuff we don't value, like it says right there, iron. If you look at the top indicator right there, you see that? Yeah. It says iron and foil. Oh, and then there's nickels, but then there's pull tabs and bottle caps and junk, right? Stuff we don't want. We don't value those things, right? And you can actually tune those out. You can actually get to where you can run your your coil over those things and you don't even hear the beeps. But here's the problem with that. It's the same range where you find gold. So if you turn your sensitivity down so you don't have to listen to those annoying noises, right, that show you that it's just things I don't value, I don't want to listen to that, we can also miss the gold, right? So we tune out, we tune out the things that are of little value to us. We turn our sensitivities down, 
but we could actually miss gold. And my friends, I think it's the same way with us. When we're talking to people that we don't agree with, or maybe we're not talking to them, right? We're not listening to them. We're, we want to avoid them, right? We tune them out. We turn our sensitivities down, right? Okay, now I don't need to listen to that. But it's possible that there's gold there, and we miss it. There's, it's possible that maybe God's trying to teach us something, even through someone we don't agree with necessarily. They might have some gold to offer us, and we can miss it. And I think it's the same with God. Sometimes we read his word, and it's like, ah, I know what this is going to cost me. I'm not going there, right? So we choose what? Our own independent way, right? We do our own thing. We can provide for ourselves. We can protect ourselves. And we miss the gold. We miss so much of value that God has because he wants to be our provider. He wants to protect us from so many things that are of danger, right? James goes on to tell us, and this is the very end uh, of that passage. He tells us to humble ourselves before the Lord and he will lift us up. Then he says, 11 and 12 here, the last two verses of this passage. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you? to judge your neighbor. You know, the reality is we, we can't even imagine what our neighbor's been through, right? And as we just read, there's only one lawgiver and judge, and he's not me, <laughs> and he's not you, right? He's the one, and I'm so grateful for this, he's the one who happens to be full of grace and truth, the one who's accused of sitting with sinners and even eating with them, the one who is an advocate for the marginalized and the poor and the powerless. That is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So as we conclude our time together this morning, I'd just like to invite each of us to spend a few minutes praying with me asking the Holy Spirit to reveal any area of our lives that needs God's grace, that needs His forgiveness. Any of our area of our lives where um, we've allowed pride to take root, maybe. And maybe, just maybe, we could begin this, this long journey. It's not just a one and done here, but this long journey of lamenting and repenting before our God, for our sin and our self-centeredness, and to also recognize, my friends, and this is important, where our zealousness or even our silence has caused pain to another family member. We have a beautiful opportunity here to turn things around and to take the road less traveled, the road of humility. 
I love how last week, um, Thursday night, Fernando actually shared this um, statement by Edmund Burke. He was a statesman. And I'm going to just repeat it because I think it's amazing. He once said, The only thing necessary for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. The only thing necessary is for good men to do nothing. And as we begin this journey that we've been talking about here, I love Second Corinthians or Second Chronicles, sorry, 714. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. So before I pray, I'm just we're just gonna have two questions come up there. Just the things for us to consider. They're gonna be on your screen right now. The first one is this. What might the Lord want you to lament and mourn during this difficult season? Just give that some thought. As we've been talking here and listening to the Lord, singing, praying, what's something that the Lord's calling you to lament and mourn? And then second question is, if you choose the road less traveled, the road to humility, right? What might, what might, what, what might you need to admit or even to change? And what might that cost you? Because it is costly. But it's so, so worth it. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your word. And this was a tough passage. It seems like James you know, kind of got after us a bit. And, um, but God, I think we know his heart. He's a shepherd. And Lord, I thank you that you are the good shepherd and that you're even willing to leave the 99 to go and seek and find the one, the one that's lost, the one that's scared, the one that needs help. the one that's troubled. And God, I thank you for your grace that you come and you came after each and every one of us. And Lord, you know, you know what we're capable of. And I thank you, God, for your grace. I thank you for your forgiveness. And Lord, we ask right now that you would search our hearts like you searched King David's heart see any wicked way in us, Lord, that you'd lead us in a way that's everlasting, that you would create in us a clean heart. You would wash away the sin like Isaiah talked about, as James talked about, God, that you would wash away the sin, purify our hearts, Lord, and bring to mind, Lord, anyone or anything that's come between us and you. Anything that's come between us and, and a beloved brother or sister in this church. 
Oh God, give us the courage to admit where we're wrong, to ask for forgiveness, and to walk arm in arm with our brothers and sisters, Lord, when we see them again. And for now, if it's a phone call we need to make or um, you know, a written apology or whatever, God, help us to, to have the heart. And again, again, the courage, because it takes courage to do that. And God, as we've sinned against you, oh Jesus, forgive us. Help us to walk humbly before you are God. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.